You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. Would you open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 1 again, please? I can't get away from Acts chapter 1 at the moment. I've been trying to, but I can't, and so we're going to just stay in it. Sometimes as a preacher, you're like, oh, like I, I've preached out of this same verse for a bunch of weeks, and like, it's time for something else, and God's like, it's not time for something else yet. So we're going to stay in the same little bit of Acts chapter 1. Um, over the last few weeks, we've been unpacking something uh, around multiplication and fruitfulness, something that we felt like God's highlight for us this year. And, and I don't think it's a coincidence that um, Mark felt God highlighting restoration and restitution. Because in, in fruitfulness and in multiplication, there is something of restoration and restitution as well. We've been looking at what does kingdom multiplication look like? What does it look like uh, in our lives? What does it look like in our partnership together? What does it look like as a local church? What does multiplication in the kingdom, fruitfulness in the kingdom, look like for us as a people? And one of the questions that I love to ask, and I think we should all ask this question often, is what does the kingdom of God look like? It's actually Jesus spent a lot of time saying, this is what the kingdom looks like. This is what the kingdom, and he used parables, and he used stories, and he used different things to try and help us understand or have a picture of what the kingdom, the rule and reign of Jesus, looks like for us here on earth. We know that when we go to, when we're with him in eternity, it looks perfect. It's a new heaven and a new earth. His rule and reign is complete. It's perfect. We're, we're made whole and united with him, but we get this privilege of bringing some of that here. And we want to see more and more. Jesus says, when you pray, pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a, a, the, the cry of our heart when we pray is not, this is what I want, God, do what I want. But Lord, would your rule and reign come into this situation? Acts chapter 1, let's read from verse 1 to verse 8. In the first book, O Theophilus, I told you I have read this recently, so hopefully you guys are getting used to this. I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Sent 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God. And while, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said, that for the, uh, he said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We can do nothing without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. It says, wait. John baptized in water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Wait for the promise of the Father, for you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Uh, Paul did an amazing job last week of talking about the unity of the Spirit. That actually when we're full of the Spirit, there's a unity because we're united in Him. Unity of the Spirit flows from being full of the Spirit. But it's not just a theological ascent to some external force. 
It's being filled with the dunamis power. That, that, that word dunamis, power of the spirit, is like dynamite. It's the same word we get our dynamite from. There is a, there's a dynamite explosive power that comes from the filling of the Holy Spirit, the empowering. Verse 8 says, you will receive power, dunamis. He's not talking about, in, in, in this context, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit here. That happens at salvation. He's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, about being immersed, about being filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, which comes with power. A couple of weeks ago, we, we had baptisms. And the reason we, we believe in baptism by full immersion is because the Bible talks about it, but because it's also a picture that when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not just a little sprinkling of the Spirit. It's to be fully immersed in His Spirit, to be full of His power. Multiplication, fruitfulness, the advancing of the kingdom only happens through the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't happen through our good plans and our great ideas and our, and our, and our well-worked schedules. Yes, we need organization. As we can see when Sam's been away on holiday for three weeks, you know, we, we need people who have uh, administratively minded gifts to help us administrate so that we can come together to make much of him. But that's not how the kingdom is advanced. It's helpful, but the kingdom is only advanced through the power of the Spirit. Jesus says to us, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And I want to tell you this morning, the Holy Spirit wants to empower you to witness. He wants to empower you for life. He wants to empower you so that when others see you and when you encounter others, you don't just give them your good ideas, but there's actually a transaction that takes place of the life-giving power and, and, and fullness and presence of God that flows from you to them. If you're feeling powerless today, you can be empowered by his life-giving, sustaining power of the Spirit right now. Actually, can we pray right now? Because we've encountered something of his presence already this morning. And there's an overflow. We don't move from worship to something else. So Lord, even right now, Right now, for those that are feeling dry, for those that are feeling powerless, Lord, I pray, would you release your spirit over us. Lord, we thank you that you are here, that you are here. But I pray for a fresh empowering right now, for a release of dunamis, dynamite power in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We touched on this a couple weeks ago, but verse 6, it talks about the, the disciples asked Jesus, well, at this, at this time will you restore the kingdom to Israel? So he, Jesus has just spent three years with them. They've just been in his presence for three years. He just spent, he, he, he's died and been resurrected, so that they're with him in his resurrected state. He spent 40 days talking about the kingdom with them, and their question is, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? There's a natural mindset, and we fall into that. We, you know, even in the place of his presence, we fall into a natural mindset at times. They're asking, will you restore things naturally? But in verse 7 and 8 here, Jesus brings it back to the supernatural. It's not for you to know the times of the seasons, the Father has fixed by his own authority. You receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be my witnesses. You receive power to witness. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What Jesus is doing right there is shifting from a natural to supernatural, but he's also enlarging the context. They, 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 I mean, it blows my mind that after spending 40 days with resurrected Jesus, 
They're still thinking naturally. It actually it, it brings freedom to me. I hope it brings freedom to you and gives you some grace. But sometimes, you know, we think, oh, how dumb am I to still be thinking this way? I think there's some grace released to us. Even the disciples, after spending 40 days with him, were still thinking naturally. But Jesus, in his love and his grace, enlarges their context. He goes, no, no, no. It's not just about here. There's a, this is a spiritual reality, and the context is bigger. I want you to look up. I want to enlarge. It's not just about you. It's not just about Israel, the place that we're here. It's about the king and his kingdom. It's beyond this. He wants all people to be saved. They were thinking about their people, and he was thinking about all people. There's a bigger context. And I want to say this. The witness of the kingdom, although it starts in our local context, is a witness that's worldwide. We have the privilege of being united with people who are worshiping Jesus right across the globe today and every day. The witness of the kingdom is worldwide. We're called to be witnesses of the king and the kingdom, and that witness is a much broader, bigger context than often I think we even allow ourselves to think or dream about. The context always continues beyond ourselves and beyond our preferences. Now see, much of the church teaches that the context is only about you and your preference. And I'm not saying that it's not in that place, but it's always bigger. It's always gather and go. It's always here and abroad. It's always me and then beyond me. It's always that I receive so that he can pour through me so that others can receive. The context always continues beyond ourselves, And I believe this morning that God's wanting to enlarge our contexts Again, our spheres of influence again. I felt like as I was preparing this, that some of us have let the pressures around us, the, the, the very real cares of life, the circumstances, shrink us and shrink our expectation. And even though we find ourselves spending time in his presence, like the disciples, we're still thinking naturally and we're still thinking in a smaller context than what he has for us. I believe God's spoken to some of you about broader context and you said, there's no way now. There's no way I can do that. I can't afford it. Interest rates have gone up. Haven't you heard the news? I can't afford it because I, I don't have the resource and I don't have the time. I, you know, I don't have space in my life. And God's saying, would you lift your eyes a little bit? I want to enlarge your context a bit. Is he the provider? Is he the one who makes a way in the wilderness? Is he the one who pours out his spirit without measure? Or is it us? 2 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says this. But we will not boast beyond limits. But we will boast only with regard to the area of influence God has assigned to us to reach even you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. I would love that to be said of us. That there's some people that would say, you were the first to come all the way to me with the gospel of Christ. I've never heard about this before. Verse 15, For we do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done by another's, areas, uh, another's area of influence. That's the heart of the kingdom. Whether it's in our neighborhood or our city or in the nations, 
that we would preach the gospel to those who haven't heard yet, and that our area of influence would be enlarged beyond what we're currently in. That the context wouldn't be limited by what we, what's going on around us, but that actually, if God says it, we would say yes. If God opens the door, we'd be willing to go. The witness of the kingdom is worldwide. The witness of the kingdom doesn't just stop with my family or with my street or my neighborhood or my workplace or my school. It is there, but it's beyond there. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. This is not a choice. This is not a like, this is not a if you want to be. You will receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Do we still believe, church, that we're called to be witnesses to the ends of the earth? Amazing. Some of us do. Hopefully by the end of this morning, we're all like, yes, give us the ends of the earth. And give me, give me my neighborhood. And give me my school. And give me my workplace. But I don't want to just stop, Lord, whatever doors you open, Lord, give me the ends of the earth. I believe this verse in verse 8 is both literal. It's the, you know, it's the places mentioned. Um, like the, not, not the actual places, but the sort of geographical locations. But it's also metaphorical about the people we witness to. So, I mean, we, we know, like, in a sense, locationally, there's some parallels for us. Like, Jerusalem is like our streets and neighborhood. It's where they walk the street. It's where they were. It's the first place of witness. Our Ju Judean Samaria is our city. It's our state. It's the kind of broader context around us. The next step. It's not limited to our immediate location. The ends of the earth are still the ends of the earth. I mean, that's fairly self-explanatory. I hope, I hope we're all on the same page with that. You know, it's Indonesia, it's the Philippines, it's New Zealand, it's Singapore, it's Romania, it's Canada. It's where, you know, wherever, wherever God's called us to, beyond our, our nation. It's beyond our borders. But I think there's a deeper meaning in this as well for us to grab hold of. See, Jerusalem was their immediate context. It was where they were known. It's where their spheres of relationship were. It's where they did their shopping. It's where they ran their businesses. It's where they went to school and had family. Remember, they were fishermen, the disciples. They had businesses. Matthew was a tax collector. People knew them in Jerusalem. Their family was there. It's where they'd made mistakes, but also where the doors of relationship were open to them. What's your Jerusalem? Many of us are happy to be witnesses where people don't know us. I mean, I, 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 I understand that it can be daunting to come out on the streets with us. It's actually the easiest context to go minister because people don't know you. I mean, who cares if they don't like you? Because they don't know you. you know many of us are happy to be witnesses in a place where people don't know us because there's no, like, relational tension of like, what if they don't like what I'm saying? You know, I went to school with them. They saw what I was like growing up. They, you know, they've heard me swear. They've seen me, uh, you know, in inappropriate situations. I mean, let's be honest with life. We like to be witnesses where people don't really know us or don't see what we're really like. Where people don't know how we run our businesses or what we're really like, how we speak when we're angry, how we handle conflict or pressure, how we deal with and discipline or don't discipline our kids. 
It's easier there. But I think this is the testing ground for character because people know what we're really like and we're still called to be a witness. Why is Jerusalem first? It's first because it's our character that makes way for our calling and gifting. It's not just because it's closest. It's because there's an importance in character when people really know who we are. Not what we're like on a Sunday morning. Not whether I can lift my hands and praise the loudest, but what I'm like Monday to Saturday. What I'm like in my workplace. What I'm like in my school. It's our character that makes way for our calling and gifting. It's not our gifting or our calling that makes way for lack of character. If that's the case, then we're all destined for a train wreck in our lives. Our character is the foundation that our calling and gifting can launch off of and out of. We have to sort the character things out before we go out. This is not an excuse to not go out. It's a call to sort out the stuff so that we can go out. Secondly, Judea was their people. It was their culture. See, it starts with our immediate spheres of relationship and then expands to our culture. We're called to influence culture. We're called to the people who have, the, you know, the, Judea was the, the same background, the same sort of beliefs as them. Um, you know, it's sort of, that was where they found themselves. Um, those people who might not know us personally, but um, you know, maybe they haven't grown up with us, but there's a camaraderie born out of shared culture. Or maybe it's in our sports clubs or shared, shared you know, interests, uh, you know, people around us that don't, they don't know, but, uh, so we don't know, but, um, you know, we talk to them maybe at a street outreach, or we talk to them at a shopping center, or come across them at a pub, or at a coffee shop. Samaria, in a sense, and I say this with, like, quotation marks, was like their enemies, or their perceived enemies, because they, they weren't actually enemies, but they didn't get along. The Samarians mocked and ridiculed the Jews, and the Jews did the same to them. They said they had a better way. They had a more pure religion. The Jews and the Sumerians were openly hostile toward each other. They wouldn't go to each other's cities. They wouldn't go to each other's territories. They didn't share a meal together. That's why the story of the Good Samaritan was such a shock when Jesus told it. They're like, what are you talking about? Why is the Samaritan the hero of this story? It revealed their prejudice in their heart. They were opposed to each other's beliefs and their way of thinking and living. Firstly, see, we're called to be a witness to those we have relationship with, those who know us, who have history with us, who know our character, because it's character forming. Secondly, those who share our culture, we might not personally know, but you know, they're not opposed to us. But also, we're called to be a witness to those who may be perceived as enemies or who are hostile to the truth of the word, to what we actually believe. We're still called to be a witness to them. We're not called to ignore them. We're not called to, to say, you know, well, you, know, you do you and we'll do us and let's see. No, no, we're still called to bring the love and the light of Jesus to them. Even though they might spit in your face and be hostile towards you and mock you for believing something that the culture around us says is insanity. Those who are antagonistic, those who are aggressive, those who are openly opposed to Christianity. And there's many people in our culture. Those who have lifestyles that you would totally disagree with. 
Those who openly disagree or mock the Bible. We're called to witness to those people. To share the love of God with them. To be a light to them. But too often our response is totally the opposite of love. And I think that this, this thing, to, to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth is so important. Because there's some heart check things that are happening when we actually understand this. Too often our response is the opposite of love. Our response is to condemn. Our response is to ridicule or exclude or to argue. Or to be honest, what we find easiest is just to have nothing to do with them. But because of that, more often than not, they want nothing to do with us, and they want nothing to do with Jesus. And I want to prophesy God's going to open some doors to some of us into areas where people are hostile to the gospel. But with the power of the Spirit... There's an encounter that he wants to bring. The fourth is the ends of the earth. We're called to be witnesses of the king and the kingdom to the ends of the earth. This is not just missionaries, the multilingual, the church leaders, the evangelists. Can I say that again? We, you and I, church, are called to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. It's not just the missionaries. We've fallen into this like selfish church culture of we'll send missionaries and the rest of us get to be comfortable. I'm glad they went because now I don't have to go. Is that too close to home? Everyone went. <laughs> We're all called to the ends of the earth. We are a pilgrim people. We, we wouldn't, honestly, church, we wouldn't be here today if somebody hadn't gone to the ends of the earth. Because from Jerusalem, we are the ends of the earth. But it doesn't stop with us. We're still called to the ends of the earth. And what that partnership, what that looks like for each of us may be slightly different. But there's still the call remains for us. We need to pass the test of character. We need to pass the test of culture. And we need to pass the test of challenge. That's why Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria are so important. The test of character, the test of culture, and the test of challenge. And we need to go to the ends of the earth. Those three things will be confronted, we'll be confronted with them, and they'll be confronted in us when we go to the ends of the earth. Your character will be tested, your culture will be tested, and you'll be challenged. And if you're going to try and bring something of our Aussie culture, you've missed the point. It's kingdom culture. Actually, to be, what's amazing is actually when you, when you step out of our culture, you often realize what of who we are is actually just cultural and what is kingdom. All three will be confronted. Testing of our character, testing of the culture. Are we living and bearing witness to a kingdom culture or to an Aussie culture? You know, there's actually things in our Aussie culture that are good. If you go overseas, you'll find that we're, a, we're actually a worshiping people. Thank you, Hillsong and others who have dug wells of worship. I've, I mean, we've been privileged to travel and... There's many places where, like, I think this is dry. The, 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 the wells that have been unlocked in our nation, because others that have gone before us, we get to carry with us. 
There's something good that we can take there. But there's also things that are unhelpful in our culture. And if we go trying to impose our culture onto somebody else, we've missed the point of the gospel. It's about the king and the kingdom. We go with Jesus. It's not do it our way. It's let's take Jesus. And to be honest, you often learn more than you give. If we're not passing these tests, it doesn't mean that the nations are not for us. We're still called to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. What it means is that we need to work on these areas. It's not like a, well, you know, I, I can't go until I, no, grow. It's a challenge to grow. It's a challenge to become more like Jesus. It's a challenge to lay down my culture and pick up kingdom culture and be transformed into the image of Jesus. Our partnership in the kingdom and what we're called to as believers is to be a going people. It's to be a witness. And it might be, can I say this for you? It might be a short-term trip. It might be to immigrate permanently. It might be for a missions trip to build an orphanage or to do a prison ministry or a street outreach. And it might be to equip and encourage local churches to invest in leaders, to do outreach, to see. There's all sorts of different things. It might be to partner in prayer and it might be to send resources. It might be to go yourself, but it might be to support somebody else to go. But as a church and as a people, this is part of who we are. It's part of our God-given mandate, our commission as followers of Jesus. Whatever it looks like, there's something that happens when we step out of our comfort zone. We step out of our church rows. We go out onto the street. But even more so, we leave our shores. We leave our culture for the sake of the kingdom. We leave our comfort. It's different than going on a holiday. To me, it's like, it's like hey, I've, I've gone overseas. No, 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 it doesn't count. Holidays are good. You should have a holiday. But it's different than going on a holiday. Going for the sake of the kingdom is not a holiday. There can be moments. There's an afternoon here and there. But it's not a holiday. Often it's a battle because fa- you're, you're advancing and taking spiritual ground. God gives you a heart for the people that he sends you to. He opens your eyes to see what, what, what your life is truly like, you know, what our culture is truly like, what we need to adjust to. There's like this, there is a culture shock. But honestly, you'll never be the same. I had someone tell me once, I feel like maybe I'm laboring at this point, but I'll tell you this story. They, they, they liked, they, they told me this. I like, um, I like that as a church we have a heart for the nations, but I'm only called to my street. They said that, for real. For real. I was a little bit like, okay. Uh, I said, well, you are called to your street, but it doesn't exclude the nations. They said, no, no, you go to the nations, I'll do my street. So I think you're missing, uh, you know, you can do that, but I think you're missing out on something of the bigness, the, the bigging, enlarging context of who God is. You are called to your street, but you're also called to your city, to your nation, to the nations. When Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, I don't think he was thinking of a checklist. You pick which one you like. Troy, you do Jerusalem. Mark, you do Judea. Carla, you can do Samaria. And Elodie can do the ends of the earth. (laughs) He was giving us a kingdom mission, not a pick and choose. But we've often been taught, 
in, especially in Western church, that most of the Bible is pick and choose. Choose your own adventure rather than a mission. We treat Jesus as the great, you ever read those books, the choose your own adventure books, and you get to like, I hated them because I was like, well, what were the other adventures like? But I didn't want to go back to the beginning and read the first chapter like 10 times to choose all the different adventures. When we understand the kingdom, a kingdom has to have a king. We understand that the kingdom has a king and we realize that he is the king of my life, then it's him who orders my life and orders my steps. And when he says, this is your mission, it's not like Mission Impossible, should you choose to accept it. This is your mission whether you choose to accept it or not. If you don't accept it, I'll raise up somebody else who will. As a church, we were birthed. We've always had the DNA of the nations in our heart. For those of you who are newer with us, you wouldn't know this, but this church started with the name Life to the Nations. It's actually Life to the Nations Christian Fellowship. It's a very 90s church name. Incorporated. <laughs> Inc. But it's part of the DNA of who we are. We can change the name. We were Melbourne Life for a little while, now we're Melbourne Lights. But our witness doesn't stop with Melbourne. We were established in the foundation of who we are as a people as those who will bring life to the nations. That Yes, the nations in our city, but literally to the nations beyond us. You might not have known this when you said, actually, I feel like God's adding me to this church. But God's adding you to something with an international DNA. Now that DNA becomes your DNA. The kingdom mission. But you know what? It's not just the DNA of this church. It should be the DNA of every believer. That we have a heart to the ends of the earth. The witness of the kingdom is worldwide. And God's looking for a people marked by his presence who will go for the sake of the lost. I think the starting point of revival, and I might preach this next week out of Isaiah 6, starting point of revival or of transformation is to see the Lord. But the end point is God asking, who can I send and who will go for me? It starts by seeing him and then being purified, coming to holiness and from that place of encountering his presence and see, I mean, as we did this morning, but even in a greater extent, we're going, whoa, whoa, whoa is me. You're so, uh, you're so worthy and so holy and being transformed. He takes the coal from the altar and he touches Isaiah's lips and he says, you're cleansed. And then he asks the question, who will go? Who can I send? If revival doesn't, doesn't uh, result in transformed cities and transformed nations, then it's not revival. And I think you'll only be able to mark the fruit of it by looking back at history. In 20 years' time, when someone's gone to Central South America and reached lost tribes, or someone's gone to Europe and they've seen a thousand churches planted, and they say, you know, well, why did you do that? And they said, well, there was this moment. That's when you look back and say, that was revival. 
Something happened that resulted in transformation and the kingdom being advanced. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But you'll never go if you never make a plan. You won't go on the street this afternoon if you don't make a plan to go on the street. You won't go to your neighbor and knock on the door and share the love of Jesus if you don't make a plan. You won't go if you don't encounter his presence. You won't go to the nations if you don't make a plan because you have to get a passport. The mark of a New Testament believer is that you have a passport and you're ready. Because what if God said to you tomorrow, there's an opportunity in Burma or Myanmar or or China or wherever, and I want you to go tomorrow. You go, but, oh, but I don't have my passport ready, and I don't have the stuff, and got to make a plan. Start saving. Pray and actually ask God where he wants to send you. Ask God how he wants to use you. We've never once sent a team overseas where somebody on that team hasn't been paid for by somebody else. Because somebody was like, I want to go, but for whatever reason, I can't get time off or something, but God's stirring my heart, so I'm gonna, I, I want to pay for somebody else to go. That's team. That's having a shared, we share the responsibility, a shared heart for mission and for going. I mean, it's the same as like, uh, you know, when we go on the street. Are we, are we saying, you know what, even if I can't make it today, I'm going to pray. I'm going to invest. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be praying for the team as they go. We share the responsibility together. You've probably seen in the newsletters we've got lots of different trips. And the whole point of this preach, this preach is not to um, sell you on trips. Because whether you come or not, I don't really care. Um, but I hope some of you guys will come. But also there's some opportunities for you that aren't the trips that we have planned. Because it's not hierarchical. It's not we plan trips and sign you up for it and then we feel better because we had a lot of people that came on our trips. There might be doors of opportunity for you to go to the nations. You might meet somebody this afternoon on the street who's from a different nation, who gets radically saved and says, actually, would you come and share the gospel with my family in the Philippines or in Indonesia or in Romania or wherever? Imagine that. We have the nations on our doorstep. We're still called to go. We can share here. Um, there, is, there is some... Um, interest forms Elodie has. If you want to, if you're thinking about any of the trips that we have coming up, um, at the end of it, you can come and put your name down. But that's not the point right now, so I kind of just want to leave it for now, because I don't want to make it about signing up. I wanna, this is a, there's a heart moment here of saying yes to Jesus. There's a heart moment of saying, actually, there's something bigger. Some of you guys are already working with your businesses or with contacts that you have, or with family into other nations. I felt like as I was preparing for this morning, there's some and you've said, it's great that somebody else will go, but my time is done. I need to finish my study. I need to get married after I buy a house, um, after I pay off my house, when my kids are older, when my adult kids have moved out, when my grandkids are older. 
when I have more energy. I feel like I'm too old, so now I'm not going to go anymore. It's for the young people to do. Some of you older people in the room, I, I love you, I honor you. But some of you guys need to not just go on holidays. You've got the resource, and God's calling you. Have good holidays, please. But don't leave it for somebody else. The kingdom is calling. We have a calling and a commission to go, and we're empowered with the Holy Spirit. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.